turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I hope you brought your Bibles with you today, and if you have, would you open them up to Philippians chapter 1? For those of you who are our guests, last week we began a two-part series called How to Pray More Effectively for Others, so let me ask a question. How many of you know someone that's in your family or life that you believe in your, uh, your loving way that their life does need to change for the better? How many of you know of someone in your family or life where their life needs to change for the better? Would you raise your hand? I know I have them. Probably some of you are saying, yep, I'm praying for you, Pastor. Your life needs to change. I'm sure it does. We all need to have that happen in our life. Well, you know, as I got reflecting upon the people there at Philippi in that church and what Paul was doing, I got thinking about what Paul was happening, what was happening in his life. He really loved those people at Philippi. In fact, some people like to think that the book that he wrote here, this letter, was a thank you letter for the way that the people at Philippi loved him and supported him when he had particular needs in his life. So he really loved them. But he did more than just love them back. He did a lot more than just write them a letter that we can kind of peer into today to get some truths to apply it to our life. He also prayed for them. And we learned last week why he really prayed for them. And this is what I'd like you to do to engage in this message today. I want you to think about the people that are surrounding your life or the people you love, their lives, and ask yourself, am I praying for them that their life will change? And if it's, no, I haven't been, I'd like you to step up and say, you know, from the Word of God and what I'm hearing today, I'm going to engage a little bit more in prayer, but sometimes I don't pray as often as I should. You know what might help you is what Paul did. You know what he did? He said, I had you in my mind. So he began to think about those people. So right now, I'd like you to think about the people that you know their life needs to change. Think about them by name. See their face. Maybe even think about the last encounter you had with them. The second thing he said is it moved from his mind to his heart. He said, I also had them in my heart. So it went more than just thinking about them, but he said, I started feeling for them. I had a little bit of an understanding, maybe why they were acting the way they were acting. Obviously, especially if they knew truth and they're rejecting it and they're now living the consequences of a lifestyle like that. But even so, you could understand them. I felt for them as perhaps the pain because hurting people hurt people. Remember that phrase. If someone is hurting someone that you love, it could be because they're hurting themselves. So there's hurting people hurt people. So now you feel for them. You have them in your heart. And if that's the case, for those of you who know Christ as Savior, some of the best things you can do to help that situation is to begin to pray for them, in which Paul said that he prayed for them because he longed for them. And I think it was more than just a longing for them. He longed for the best for them. So he began to really pray for them. And so today, what I'd like to do is I want to open up the section here of Philippians, this letter, and to figure out what did Paul actually pray for the people at Philippi. Maybe I could learn something about his model prayer for those people that I could now use to pray for the people that I have in my mind, in my heart, and now in my prayers. But I need to give you this little side thought. 
Some of you might be thinking about those who are crashing and burning around you, and you don't have a lot of people like that. Kids are doing okay. The family's not in jail. The people you work with are okay. And so you're going to zone out of this message. They're doing all right. Well, I want you to know this, that when Paul was writing to the people at Philippi, it wasn't because those people in Philippi had such horrible lives or were doing such horrible things. In fact, there was only a couple ladies that had a little problem with one another, but most of this book is a book of affirming them of how good they were. So even if your friends and your family are doing real well, I believe we could extrapolate from this passage of Scripture some truths to help us to kind of beef up our prayers for them. So whether they have lives that desperately need to be changed or they have lives that are okay but they need to grow, then I believe there's something that we can gain from that. So let's begin here, and I want to just show you the first part of this prayer here. Number one is maturity based on charity. I'll explain what I mean. When you want to pray for those people, you want to pray that they will grow up, that they'll become more mature, but you know it's going to be based upon charity or love. So let's look at the first part of that phrase, that verse. It says, in this I pray. You might want to notice it doesn't say this I wish for them that they would love more and more. It says, no, this I pray. You know, I'm finding that more and more Christians, they really wish people would change. They talk about people changing. They talk about others and gossip about other people that they need to change. But I don't know that they really pray. Now, some people might say, yeah, I prayed about it, but my question is, did you pray about it specifically, by name, what they needed to do, how they needed to change? Now, I'm saying this for a purpose. Paul just didn't say, and this I pray for you guys, and then move on to another truth. He said, no, this I pray for you, and then he specifies what he was praying for them. So what I'd like you to do in your mind now is you want to pray for them. You want to go to the throne of God in prayer. Now, something else is interesting. It says, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. You see that phrase, your love? I want to kind of take us back for a moment. Right now, we're studying the book of Philippians, and we're learning some great truths about people who lived almost 2,000 years ago. For some of you, all these are, are just a church, a group of people. I mean, they're so far out of our minds. They're just like a, 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 an old, dusty, dirty church that lived 2,000 years ago. But I need to let you know that when he was praying for them, it was a church very similar to ours. For example, in that church, he had a businesswoman. Some of you ladies do business here in some measure. He also had a civil servant that worked in the um, court system, you might say. Now, some of you may not work in the court system, but you work in some measure for the government. We have some people like that. There was also a young girl that was so involved with demonic activity, but she was delivering. Now, we don't know how young she was. She could have been elementary, maybe middle school. And then it said that this jailer had his whole family, his household got saved, so that's going to throw in the rest of us, whether you're a civil servant or whether you're a businesswoman or whether you're a youth. It doesn't really matter. So in a sense, the church at Philippi was very similar to ours. They also had a very strong military presence where the guys would go off to war as well. So you can see that what he's saying is, I'm praying this for you. So I'm saying this for this reason for us. This letter that was written to them could have been written to the church at Honolulu or International Baptist Church right here. So the principles that we're learning is going to be for all of you teenagers today. It's going to be for all you moms and dads and business people and civil servants and military people and perhaps retired folks. These truths are for all of us. So he says, and this I pray that your love, wherever you are, whatever your profession is, that your love may abound still more and more in the knowledge and discernment. Now remember, biblical love produces maturity in others as well as it comes from the one who is maturing in his faith. So let's look at it for a moment here. It talks about the extent of our love is to be without two things, the extent of it. In other words, how broad should our love really be? Now, first of all, it talks about it being without prejudice, without prejudice. And it says in this that 
I pray that your love may abound, and that means without prejudice. It may kind of go out to everybody. Now, for some of you that are coming back to this and saying, okay, who, for whom should I be praying? I made a list here, and I thought maybe this might help you. How many of you manage? How many of you are managers that you have people that answer to you? Would you raise your hand? All right, I want you to begin praying and thinking about those people that you might be able to pray this prayer with, those managers. How many of you right now might be parents? How many of you have parents? Your parents in here and you've got kids. How about your kids? I would like you to pray for them as well, whatever their needs might be. And I'm going to open this up on the love factor here in a moment. And then how many of you might be people that wherever you might be, you'd be a shepherd of a group of people? If you really want to be specific, it is Paul, the model shepherd, praying for his sheep there at Philippi. So all of us who are pastors or spiritual leaders in this church, the best illustration would be that we would be praying for you all using this as our model prayer. Now, our men here are praying for you. This morning they laid hands on me and we together lifted you up in prayer generally. Maybe not specifically because of time, but generally we did pray for you. Our guys are praying Every deacon's meeting, long time in prayer for you. You are really loved. Some guys take the lists of the men of the church and they're praying for you. You didn't know that, did you? This church is a praying church. We may not be a large church, but we're a church that realizes our needs. Now, with all that being said, I'd like to keep my illustration on this point to make it more applicable to where we are. So moms and dads and kids, I'd like you to listen right now. Last Thursday night, we had our our Bible study with the men. And at the end of this Bible study, I gave the guys an opportunity to share the deepest request that God, the Holy Spirit, laid on their heart to give it to us and that we would pray. I was incredibly encouraged by everybody bringing out a different part of the mosaic of prayer. But one man said something in that meeting that I thought would be good to use as a running illustration through this point. And here's what he prayed about. He said, would you pray for the young people in our church who are now going to be going into a new school, new class, a little bit new environment. And we began to reflect on how many kids are going in from one school to another school, going in from one environment to another environment. And then we got thinking that these kids had some great Bible teaching with the youth and with the teaching here, etc. But now their spiritual mettle is going to be tested when they face a new array of friends and teachers, the new sights and smells of a new classroom even, a new school. And I got thinking about all the challenges that they're going to face with one another. And then I got thinking, besides just being challenged for their faith, they're going to be challenged for their faith as it regards to relationships with one another. How well do our young people relate to each other? Now, young people, I need you to know this. As a parent now, I know that there's things called sibling rivalry. You know what that is when you kind of pick on brothers and sisters and all of that? But nothing hurts a mom and dad more when that sibling rivalry gets really bad, all right? And so I hope that you listen to this about this loving one another. So let's go back to this here. So we're going to pray that our young people particularly, we're going to look at them right now and pray for them, our kids, that they would abound in love more and more with one another without prejudice. Now I have something here. I've done this illustration before. Some of you new kids haven't seen it, so you need to see this right now. You see, this is a can of Coke. Now, in it is a lot of carbonation. We're going to let this can represent you right here. We're going to let the Coke in the can represent the love that God has poured into you when you trusted Christ as Savior. Now, adults that are out there, I want you to think about the same thing. You're the can, nothing more than a little old dummy mental can, but God poured his love inside of you. Now, that's the love inside of you. Now, that verse says that we would love more and more. How can you love more and more? Well, an earthly illustration would be 
if I took this can and I shook this thing, all right, and so as I'm now walking with the Lord and God's love is inside of me and it's filling me full of his love, he doesn't want that love to be contained inside of me. In fact, more than anything, he says, let this love be shed abroad. It needs to be more and more. And this love needs to go to as many people as possible. Now, for you, I'm not done yet. Right, just a second. I can feel it building, though. Right? <laughs> but right now, I'm not going to talk about you loving your parents, although that's important. I'm going to be talking about you loving your friends. I'm going to talk about you loving the other people in your youth group more and more. And some of you that have a regular people you work with, more and more. Okay, now that we've done this, he says, it needs to be shed abroad. So let me pop this thing right here. Now, I'm not going to do that, all right, because we all know. How many of you have seen the commercial where this kid shakes it up, pops it open, squirts, and the mom turns around with this hose and nails them all? Now, why I said all of that is this. You have the capacity to love within you because God gave that to you when you trusted Christ as Savior. But what we're not to do is to contain it. Now, watch this. It's to be without prejudice, now, if I was to squirt this on Andrew, you would think that I don't like him because usually when you squirt stuff on him, you're going to mess him all up. But love isn't to because I don't like you. It's because I really like you. So if I'm going to squirt love, watch this, kids. I can squirt my love on him, but the Bible says it's not to be restricted to him. It's to abound, which means it knows no extent. So the love I give to him, I need to give to him. I need to give to him. No, I need to give to him, right? I need to give it to everybody, young people, old people in this room. It is very easy to love a puppy, but it's hard to love a full-grown Doberman, all right? And God says that we need to let that love shed to everybody. Now, remember what I said, maturity based on love? The test of your maturity is how you handle the love that should be shed abroad in your heart. Now, you have to stay with this because if I ended my illustration on this, you wouldn't have a full message. Look at the second point here. It says, besides it being shed abroad internationally, it's to be done without stinginess. That means yet more and more. So it's to abound, but yet more and more. So I can't hold it back from anyone. So here's my question to you. Is there anyone in your family that you're holding back God's love from through you? Is there anyone in the youth group that you're holding your love back that needs to have it shed abroad to them? It does not say shed abroad to those that like you or don't like you. Shed abroad in your heart to everybody and not to be stingy with it. Now, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to 1 Thessalonians 3.12? But I want you to know that this truth was so paramount with the Apostle Paul that he decided to write it to two separate churches. And one church he was so burdened about, he said that he's going to write it twice to them. And here's what he did. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. You following me? 1 Thessalonians easy to find. It's right before 2 Thessalonians. <clears throat> little humor there. All right. It says... And may the Lord make you increased and abound in love to one another and to all. Would you circle that? Abound again and yet to all, to everyone, just as we do to you. Then it says in chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, would you look at that? Chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, great verse it says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. Let me pause for that just a moment. All of us in this room really should not have the need for me to give you this message again. You should not have to have this given to you, but it's good for us to remember. How many of you were here that one Sunday I used this illustration before? How many? How many remember it? We're awake enough. You remember when I did that, okay? 
I shouldn't have to do that again to you, but Paul says, you know what, it's good for us to hear it again. Let's go a little bit further in the same verse. It says, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So whether I'm teaching you or not, you already know, so you can't say, they didn't teach me that in youth group. They should be teaching over that in that Bible study. If it wasn't taught to you, God in his own measure begins to show you truths on love from his word through a lot of different um, voices, but through the word of God. It says here, the love of God is taught to you to love one another. And it says, and indeed you do so, so toward all brethren who are in all Macedonia. That again means it crosses ethnic backgrounds. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So mark that in your Bible. So I'm to love to everybody in all Macedonia or everywhere, but I'm also to do it more and more. So it should be kind of shedding out abroad from us so it goes much further than what we are right here. So that needs to be our whole lifestyle is loving. Now, let me say this to you young people. Some of you right now sit back as an, a sign of immaturity could be this. Nobody loves me. Nobody likes me. And so you become a sucker for love. In other words, you want everybody to love you, everybody to give you attention. And if you do that, that's manipulating because then what's happened is you have not received the love of God inside of you and you're demanding that other people love you instead of saying, wait a second, God loves me and it's not about other people loving me, it's about God loving me and since he loves me and I can never get that full, I am now receiving all of him so I can still love everybody who what? Doesn't love me back. Now I already told you, I've got a little, we've got two cats at our house. And I love playing with the cats. Sometimes if I play too long with them, I get a little frisky and I like to kind of poke them a little bit, you know, because they're kind of, they just sit there and you pet them and they don't do anything. They're not like a dog that wags a tail. They just sit there and they kind of purr a little bit. And after a while, I just kind of at them. And the cat, what does it do? It turns around and gets me back. Well, kids, loving is what God wants you to do. Poking at people will hinder them from loving you back. So both of you together work on saying, I am filled with the love of God, and what we're going to do is we're going to meet in the middle, and what can we do to love that other person? Now stay with me because this gets really good. Layman Strauss says this. Listen, listen. It's a long quote, but it's a great quote. Layman Strauss wrote this. He said, love is the first and foremost of all Christian characteristics. That means if you were to have one characteristic of a Christian, it's going to be love. And the greatest of them all is love. Love is the foremost of all the commandments of our Lord. How do you know your disciples if you love one another? It says, and the most convincing testimony to the unsaved is that we love other believers. So your testimony is hindered when you want to share the gospel if you don't demonstrate love to one another. And then it says, love is a force that is the most compelling. It will continue when other gifts have ceased. Its exercise is indispensable to successful Christian living so that Paul prays for an overflow of love in the lives of the saints. And here's my prayer for you folks here. This is a very loving church guest, so I'm not, I'm not saying that we have a problem here. We really don't. We don't have schisms of divisions here. All right, but here's what I am saying. We need to be the epitome of loving one another. And it's got to start from the adult level down to the kids. And kids, it's got to start with you because if you do it, the younger kids will do it because the test of your maturity is how you love. Now, look at the next point because I have to put a governor on your love. A governor means that I've given you a car. It can go real fast, but you have to keep it in the right lanes. All right, here's what it says. It also needs to increase love based on two areas, two truths. If you're going to love, it needs to be based on knowledge. It has to be based on knowledge. Now, there's two kinds of knowledge. I'm going to flip it to the next word, discernment. I want to put the two together. It talks about loving more and more to everybody, but it's based upon knowledge and it's based upon discernment. 
The first thing which you need to know, if I'm going to love one another, I need to love them in a biblical fashion. So if I'm going to be basing my love, then my love has a governor on it. It is not sentimentality. It's not, I love you so much, I, do stu- I don't want to criticize you. I don't want to say anything negative about you. I don't want to confront you about anything. I'm just going to let you do anything you really want. That's not love, folks. How many of you have a younger brother that's maybe three years, y- y- or sister, three years old or younger? How many has that? Anybody have any younger than that? Any of you? If I had a two-year-old and I saw that two-year-old opening up the cabinet underneath the sink that has a bunch of uh, detergents and poisons in there, and I'm watching him kind of figure out how to unscrew the top, and I'm watching him lift up this bleach, and he takes the bleach and he's starting to do that, what am I going to say? Oh, you're so cute. Look at how you can do that. I would not do that. I would grab that bleach from his hand. And, of course, what do you think that kid's going to do? He's going to say, no, go, no, Daddy, I love you. Thank you for taking that away from me. No, you think that, that no, it's, the kid's going to go nuts, scream at me, yell at me. And, of course, if my emotions is, watch this, this is heavy. If I'm living to get everybody to like me so I don't confront when they're doing something wrong, then what I have a problem is I haven't been filled with the fullness of God. I am still filled with needing the approval of other people. But when I say, I love you so much that I'm going to bless you and grace you, but in my love and gracing of you, if I see you stepping out of line because you're emotionally dysfunctional right now and you are not doing this thing correctly, I'm going to lovingly come aside of you. Remember, grace and truth. If you just have grace, you might not have truth. If you have truth, they won't receive it because you don't have grace. So I'm going to come against you. So love says it's based upon knowledge. And the knowledge is the word of God. What is truth? What is right? I have to fully understand what God says in that situation. So young people... That's what's going to trip you up the most if you're not adding to your knowledge base the Word of God and a full knowledge of Christ because then you're going to love with the world sense of love, which is I love you if you love me. And hey, later on, let the state worry about the kids. I think parents know what I'm trying to say. So next word is the word discernment. All right, it says to love him in knowledge, but it also means discernment. Discernment might mean maybe I have to understand if I really love them, why are they that way? How can I speak their language? Sometimes if I love them, it may mean that I have to withdraw from them. Sometimes if I really love somebody, in discernment means I'm probably going to be the best one to confront that person. So when you do this, you're sensing from the Lord timing of when you do this. Sooner is always better than later, folks. You know that. If I wait too long to grab the bleach out of that kid's hand... That kid will die. So there is a timing thing on this thing. But if I run around, watch this, parents. If I run around and I'm always keeping my kid away from getting hurt of any kind, I'm just holding this child, I will smother my child. And there are many parents that are making their kids dysfunctional today because they're not letting the kids learn from life lessons that God has for them that they've rejected from you. Now, I'm not talking about playing in the middle of the poly here when the cars are going by. I'm not talking about that. But there's a proper timing. Discernment will also tell you the tone you should use. Sometimes you've got to say, get away from that. Other times you have to say, let's sit down and reason together and let's work through your mind on this. So sometimes the tone of how you do that, and I pray that it is always, if anything, we're going to err more towards yelling at the kids than we are loving it. And thirdly, is the technique. How do you set them up? What's the right way to do that? And you know what, folks? I can give you all the earthly techniques But God and his spirit is going to massage your heart and let you know because that kid was given to you. Now watch, I'm saying all that. Stay with me now. He said, I pray that your love would do this. So the bottom line is it's not how much you dive into these principles as much as it is, first of all, you pray for these people. And what you're praying now is that their love would be abounding to everybody. It would not be stingy. But when you do, you're praying that they would love with proper knowledge and they would also love 
with proper discernment. And that is the sign of maturity. Okay, so love will then work on maturity. Let's go to number two now. Authenticity based on maturity. Authenticity, so he said, then this I pray. And we pastors pray for you, that you may approve the things that are excellent. So parents, you're going to pray for your sons and daughters, that they may approve things that are excellent. So what does the word approve mean? Obviously, you see it there. You can circle the word approve. It means prove after testing what is authentic. And the second word is that they would also distinguish that which is most excellent. So distinguish. Find out what is the most excellent that's present there. When I was uh, teaching at the Child Evangelism Fellowship uh, Leadership Training Camp, it's so weird how kids are sometimes. I gave a phrase. I may have only said it once. I could have said it twice, but I didn't even... You know how I like to go on and on about something? Don't laugh. I said the phrase, good, better, best, never let it rest until what? Your good is better and your better is best, right? All right, the kids are getting this. I used to say that so much when I taught in Bible college that at the end of the semester, my students gave me trivets. They, they did count and cross-stitch stuff. I had so much of that there because that is my motto. Good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good is better and your better is best. Would you like to know where I got that from? I got it from this passage of Scripture. It says what you're going to do is you're going to test what's out there and then you're going to prove the things that are the most excellent. So what I'm really saying is you now take, because of your love, you're loving, so now you're exposing yourself to all the good that you can do for other people. There's a safe community. You've created safety there. You're going to do it with knowledge and discernment. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.